0: And Peter. Good morning, my love.
1: Good morning, my love.
0: How'd you sleep last night?
1: Got a solid eight and a half hours.
0: That's a, that's too few hours for you. You're like two and a half hours short.
1: That's on the weekends.
0: Disgusting.
1: I mean, we all function optimally at different like sleep amounts.
0: Oh, some of us are weaker than others? Yes, I agree.
1: Oh my god.
0: Only the strong survive.
1: We've always disagreed about how much sleep is necessary, but I think that's because you don't view sleep as six
0: hours. That's it. Let's fucking go. We have more shit to do today.
1: I can't relate.
0: Fight your boss for a six hour workday. Yeah. Yeah. It's valid. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: But I will say it's been two weeks since I started the training with Natalie, the weight training. And I'm still... You feeling mean the Buff Ladies Club? Buff Ladies Club. I'm still feeling it. Like, I was just telling Peter that it's really strange to wake up and have my, like, feel rested, but have my body still feel so tired. And my mind is starting to wake up from the coffee and stuff, but I still feel exhausted because I'm physic. My body is physically still recovering and tired. And that, like... Weird juxtaposition between being physically tired but mentally alert has has me super confused because it's only been two weeks of training and like I'm just not used to my body being used this much and tired, so it had like even... when, when you
0: when you say use this much, could you give the listener an idea of what the workouts that you've been doing consist of?
1: Yeah, they're approximately fifty intense minutes and then five mm-hmm. minutes of stretching. Mm-hmm. So as an example, we do a lot of like hand like. What are those things called? The hand, the weights you hold with your hand and go like this.
0: Are you talking about the ones that have like the the handle on the top and they they're like a circle on the bottom?
1: Well, those. Those are kettlebells. Kettlebells. We we do a lot of squat squatting with kettlebells, but what are those normal weights called that just have black?
0: Ends? Just dumbbells.
1: Dumbbells. Yeah. We do a lot of dumbbell work with our arms and shoulders and backs. We use machines that work our biceps, triceps. And our lats on our back. We yesterday was the first day we deadlifted, and I deadlifted 95 pounds. Well wow. We do a lot of putting these stretchy exercise bands across the top of our knees and doing like walking squats or walking like lungy type things or just squatting with those things on. and it's it's just physically really draining. Mm-hmm to do so much weight training, um, and, like, I, like, I, my muscles feel tired afterwards, like, I'm usually shaking in some capacity, especially my arms and, like, my legs are just shaking, and the next day, I'm typically sore in some capacity, and, I think I've just, I've always just done like light cardio as my movement practice, like Uh walking for the last several years, as I said in an earlier episode. So to use my muscles so intensely three days a week, I'm just not used to feeling physically so drained, like physically tired, where I feel like a lot of my body's nutrients and energy are going towards recovering my body and my muscles. And it's confusing to me because I'm not sleepy, but I'm tired, but I'm mentally alert. But while I've been working over the last two weeks, it makes me feel tired at work. Uh Because, like, I have this association with, like, if my body's tired, I must be sleepy. I'm not used to my body being tired because it's just muscle recovery and still being alert enough to work. So I keep getting confused at work. Like, am I feeling tired? Like mentally and emotionally tired or is my body just tired and I'm fine and I feel like it's the latter and I'm just still adjusting to that. So to wake up this morning and physically feel so tired But to mentally and emotionally feel rested. It just feels odd.
0: Well, so you were saying earlier before we started recording that last night um, Like you just started crying not really randomly, but it, would you want to like kind of unpack why that was?
1: Yeah. So yesterday we we recorded, <clears throat> and it was the day that I woke up at five a.m. with Peter instead of at six thirty with my alarm. So the day started out long, and I did a lot of stuff in the morning, like a lot of really productive things. And then I saw a lot of clients. No, then I had the workout that I just described with the deadlifting and all the weight training. And that was really intense yesterday and really tiring. And then I saw clients, which was like mentally and emotionally tiring. And I, I actually was mentally tired from my body being so tired at work last night. So like I was seeing clients, but my posture was like my head was leaning on my hands. I was like sitting back like I just and a couple clients asked, like, how are you? And I was honest with them. I was like, I'm pretty tired, like woke up super early and did a really intense like weight training like. I'm really tired, but let's go. I can't wait to hear about what's going on in your life. Like, talk to me. Share what's on your heart. So I still did my job well, but it was just really draining. And I, so I'd been up since 5. I got home at, like, close to 8.30 at night from seeing seeing my clients. And by the time, like, we pretty much immediately ate dinner. And when I was giving Peter a hug to go to bed, I just, he was being sweet and saying nice things to me. And I think I just, from tiredness and emotionality, I just kind of got a little choked up and, like, started crying a little bit. And, like, yeah, I think I just got so tired and felt feelings and just kind of started to cry. Um, but went to bed shortly thereafter, and I pretty much fell asleep right away.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's normal when your body is really depleted, you know, or, you, or you're, like... Even if it's even if you're not a hundred percent like fully conscious of it, like your body being sore or like in a light amount of pain, but constantly, can really kind of break down your outward emotions, you know, mm-hmm. or like cause you to to break down easier. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, it, again, you said this earlier, but like your willpower is going towards dealing with your body hurting and not necessarily other faculties or other parts of yourself you know
1: yeah and I'm totally not used to that but you were kind of talking about it before we started recording in regard to athletes would you like to speak on that
0: yeah so I actually think you know the the emotionality that comes from exerting yourself to your physical limit you know like when you when you see people no matter what level they're at you know it could be NBA professional, it could be NCAA collegiate, it could be at your fucking rec center in your neighborhood or on your college campus. When people are exerting themselves to the limits of their physical capacity, running as hard as they can, running longer than they think that they can, sprinting longer than they think they can, more times than they think they can, because they need to defend someone. I'm thinking about basketball specifically, like running the length of the court because you don't want the other guy to score, but doing that over and over and over again, over 90 minutes, and or or like you know some, sometimes longer if the game goes into overtime but like that just like that thing you know and and the the phenomenon of you know your willpower going towards dealing with your physical self and that kind of taking away some from i guess like the what what, what would young call it the mask of our of our outward selves right mm-hmm. like you you'd have less capacity to to hold the mask up you know right and so i think in that way Sports are kind of like the OG reality television, because, like, why do people watch reality television? They want to see people doing things that, like, that are either interesting or poignant or, like, entertaining or whatnot, you know, and one of the most impactful things that another human being can witness is another human being getting to the limit of themselves you know right and so sports like you know if, uh, if you watch a college team you know like we got the Jayhawks who won the national championship last year you if you followed that team the whole season you knew like which players were having good seasons which ones were having bad seasons like we've had I've had seasons in the past where like people's parents die in the middle of the season and then they're playing for this like redemption story like oh good shit emotional shit right you take that through the whole season and then win? Oh, of course that's why they're crying. Like, your body, beaten down. Like, you've spent your whole life trying to get somewhere, and it happened? Oh, that's fucking compelling television.
1: So you're saying, like, the mask comes down mm-hmm. after you physically exerted yourself, and yeah. you're more likely to show emotion that we otherwise maybe would be able to, like, hold Hold back.
0: in, yeah. Like and, and people like to see that. You know people like that authenticity right that's that's become such a buzzword over the last five years like authenticity authenticity you know that that was, like every company is trying to find ways to be you know quote-unquote authentic which in itself is inauthentic right um but like when you take especially amateur sports like just the grind because like those guys i mean you know if you get up to the higher tiers you know now they can get paid you know just recently just within the last couple of years, that started to be a thing. You're
1: talking about college. College athletes. College athletes.
0: And, but, but, like, you know, amateur, you know, like college yeah. athletes, you know, you it used to be like, yeah, if you were a top-tier recruit, you might get bribed. Like, someone might buy your mom a house or a car or like, give you a bag of money. But it wasn't like you were making – like, you know, some of these, like, uh, quarterbacks in the SEC are making, like, six, seven figures from endorsement deals for being the quarterback at Alabama. Right. Right? Like, holy shit. Like, new day and age, right? But, like, you know, back in my day, oh, my God, I get to say that unironically. I'm getting fucking old. Back in my day, you know, you got your meal plan. You got your uh, your swag from whoever the sponsor was, like Adidas or Nike or whoever. And you got clout on campus for being, like, a huge motherfucker most of the time. You know? And that was it. And then you just, like, you're playing for trying to get to the next. Like, you know, that that uh, that show on Netflix, Last Chance You, the basketball season's? I fucking cry. Like, half the episodes. The football one, too. You know, TM, you know, that woman who just cared so much for this. Oh, my God, my fucking heart, right? Like, sports are the OG reality TV because you get to see emotion that people normally keep behind closed doors or, you know, keep in private. And so that's why I fucking love it. And it's because of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, You know, part of it is, like, your body is breaking down. Like, you don't have the faculties to, like, hold it all together, right? Right. And that's compelling. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we got on that tangent.
1: Well, you know, and that was one of the things we wanted to talk about today was just, like, emotion in general and kind of that idea of, like, when, when do we mask it and when do we kind of have, quote, unquote, permission to show it? Under what circumstances and context do the average person feel comfortable really showing mm-hmm. outwardly what they're feeling inside.
0: Yeah, I guess in like a traditional, like hyper masculine way with sports, like one of the only acceptable times to show what what could be considered, you know, sadness or weakness or like one of those More, undesirable emotions. Let's call them vulnerable. Yeah, sure, sure, vulnerable like in in, in a a proper, like healthy context, but in like a hyper masculine context context, it's unacceptable. It's just not okay. Yeah. Because you need, like, you need to hold it together for the people around you, because you're all working towards something. And if you break down, well, guess what? Four people now have to do the work of 5 Mm-hmm. Right. So you're
1: talking basketball. But ba-
0: basketball again, right? Um, I mean, you could do anything, like, because, like, aren't all sports just kind of a stand-in for war anyway? Mm-hmm. Like, we we do sport so that we don't do war. You know, I don't know. Right. We can get off into to tangents on, like, you know, societies throughout history. Like, when you reach a certain. Uh, proportion of males versus females in a population, how often they go to war, like how often those those numbers line up. Right. Right. Well, guess what? Like, it would be really fucking crazy for us to do that now with like nuclear weapons, modern technology, like globalism and and communications technology has just made that not really so much a thing. So like, what are the outlets? Like where, like how, how do you get those things into like healthy, you know, uh, uh, veins, I guess. And sport, I think is a big part of it. At least it has been, you know, I, I think when we talk about, like, the crisis of modern masculinity, right? Like, you can either go a really toxic route and it's, like, Gamergate type shit. Uh, or you can go, like, it almost seems like there, there's there's a very, very little center. Because, like, the other side is, like, the almost, like, hippie kind of, like, like it, it gets criticized for, like, emasculating men, you know, like, or, or demasculating, like, whatever feminizing, you know, version of that is. Um, you know, because it, it, it get, it's kind of like new agey, like guru-y, self-help-y type stuff. But I think that there is like kind of like a, a middle or maybe just like a left of center path where like you look at things rationally and like in a material context, like you take in science where, it, where it's appropriate, you know, and you don't replace it with mysticism. Like this, this whole like, what, what, what did I learn about recently? The, um, the mytho-poetic men's movement is like a really toxic thing. Like you see like Andrew Tate, right? Like you hear, you see that guy all fucking over social media. Like I don't do TikTok. Some of my my buddies do. And they get his shit all the time. And like they joke about it. They see how fucking insane the misogyny is. And, but they, they think it's funny just to like, because it's so ridiculous, right? They don't believe it really. But there are like 14 year old kids out there who do fucking believe that sort of thing. Cause like we've talked about how I got into uh, like pickup artist shit, like PUA stuff when I was that age. Because what? Because you're fucking horny and you want to have sex. And you've got people out there who are like, guess what? I can give you a plan to have sex. All you have to do is study the plan and then act on the plan, right? That's fucking compelling for a a fucking horny kid. Um, But it's not necessarily healthy. And so trying to figure out, like, you know, we, we talk about how, you know, we're thinking about having kids in the next few years or whatever. Like, if we have a son, like... I'm really interested in doing a good job of, like, modeling behavior, but, like, not so much about putting out dogma, because, like, trying to trying to describe it is hard. Living it is easier, mm-hmm. you know?
1: And kids learn through example more so than what their parents say anyway.
0: Right, right, yeah. So, like, a big part of it is, you know, if I keep meditating and I keep going to therapy and I keep working out and I keep... Like uh, being intentional about self reflection and things like that, and like employing the things that I learn in therapy and in my reflection, then hopefully I won't have to do so much of the like philosophizing of parenting. I will just be a thing that is a good example. You and know? what
1: type of example would you want to show for a son regarding emotion?
0: Like the real stoic ideal, you know? Like, feel the thing fully, you know? feel it, right? Recognize it. Like give yourself that, that, feel, that yeah. permission. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not first just off, permission. Like first off, doors open.
1: First off being even able to identify that you're feeling an emotion. Uh-huh. Being able to name what emotion you're uh-huh. feeling. And why. And why. We call and, that and, in the therapy world. Mm-hmm. I refer to that as name it to tame it. Mm-hmm. I did not come up with that. I forgot the name of the scientist oh, that did. Um name it name the emotion to tame it to get you know, to it just takes some of the power away from, like, the intensity of the emotion once you name what it is. Well, yeah, because
0: the, the ambiguity is the thing that gives gives these kind of, uh, I, I don't know, these phenomenon strength. Yeah, because
1: it's, like, this uncertainty of, like, something's going... Because emotions first happen physiologically in our bodies. And they're
0: happening for a reason.
1: And then they our body... Then it kind of moves up to our mind, and we start to have thoughts that are tied to the emotion. We start to have stories we start to tell ourselves regarding the emotion and the environmental context of what what triggered the emotion and That's when people who don't understand what they're feeling kind of start to feel confused or overwhelmed of like what's going on with me uh-huh. And if you don't have the skill of being able to identify and name your emotions, it can be something that is confusing overwhelming and something you stifle or rep- suppress uh-huh whether you're actively suppressing it or subconsciously repressing it. Um, But like, like you said, the stoic ideal of being able to access the left side of your brain and your rationality, but also giving your right side of your brain where, you you know, your emotionality, your creativity, your, your insight, permission to identify name and fully feel the emotion Mm -hmm. to completion and give it permission to be felt is a really big deal and then would you mind picking up with where stoicism like what then what do you do with the emotion
0: so yeah so so you know people think you know stoics they're these unfeeling you know uh automatons who just always try to do the the most strategically advantageous thing no matter what right and that view of stoicism you know that that's like kind of a I think an unnatural and unnecessarily painful way of dealing with the world, and I think it's it's sad that Stoics get that kind of perception that that misconception about them. But like the real Stoic ideal for for emotion, anyway, is like you were saying: feel it fully, understand why you're feeling it, like what what is the source of it, right? And and it's hard to do that because like you you're so wrapped up in the thing, right? It's it's hard to see your way out of of a hurricane when you're in the eye of the storm, right? right. And it, it's recognizing that and seeing the real reason for why you're feeling what you're feeling and not some conflated version of it that's that's thrown off by your extreme emotion. But then once you've felt that thing fully and unpacked it, like you've you've named it to tame it, right? You've said what it is, why it is.
1: Felt it fully. Felt
0: it fully, kind of like honored it, I guess would be another word that's what you I could say use, in, with right? My yep, so so like honor that feeling right but honoring it doesn't mean reacting outwardly immediately right? right so what people tend to do and what they, they they should not do is they feel a thing and then they act to like to address the feeling right to alleviate that discomfort as quickly as possible right and stoics in a sense sit with that feeling and really try to understand it materially like, in its truth here and now. And once they've done that, you know, while they're doing that, maybe on the outside it looks like nothing's going on. But on the inside, the whole storm that needs to, to take place, you know, it's rolling in and it's it's rolling out. And the rolling out portion of it is taking all of that knowledge you have about your emotions, looking at the situation that, they're, that it's stemming from, thinking about how your ideal self would want this situation to play out and then constructing a plan to have that outcome be met.
1: So in the therapy world, when I work with my clients, I would call that fully feeling your feelings and accessing the left side of your brain so that we're not necessarily being reactive with our feeling, Mm -hmm. our big emotion, but instead we're responding instead of reacting Mm -hmm. We're responding in a way that's in alignment with our true self and what, and our values and how we want to show up in the world. And sometimes that initial reaction may not be, you know, in alignment with what we value or how we want to show up in the world. So taking oh, yeah. that time to access the thinking part of your brain to say, okay, I'm feeling this big thing. Now, how do I want to respond to the situation uh-huh. with intentionality?
0: Yeah, like, for for example, you know, because of my past traumas and, you know, like, my childhood shit, whenever I encounter somebody who's a bully, my natural inclination is to, whatever they're doing, do the equivalent of punching them in the nose. Yeah. Right? Like, if they were physically assaulting somebody, you know what I would try to do? Break their fucking nose. Right. Because that's what a bully deserves. That's how I dealt with things when I was a kid on the playground. That's, like, things that I've had to change over time. Like... You don't just hit people as an adult even though you want to which i think is like a fun thing to teach children i can't wait to be a dad because like getting to teach that one oh my god first-hand experience right there um but like knowing that about myself knowing that i have this intense gut reaction to bullying you know when i encounter like it's gotten to the point now when i encounter eh, i don't do a great job of it sometimes i, I do a, a good job but like i'll catch myself and i go oh man you're getting that righteous anger thing going. Hold that. Like, why are you feeling that, right? It's become one of those things cuz it's like I've I've done enough reacting and had enough negative experiences just because of that to where I've kind of done an okay job of habituating the reaction of, oh, you're feeling that righteous anger. Hold that. Don't don't act on that just yet. Like, assess this situation now. And That has taken years of intentionality.
1: And then what do you do instead of reacting?
0: Honestly, more often than not, I do nothing outwardly. Because over time, I've assessed that in the majority of situations. Unless something is serious. Like, I'm not going to back down from saying something to someone. Like, I I don't know. I won't give an example. There are too many. Um, But if I find myself in that sort of situation... You know, and it's not it's not something that warrants a reaction, and my my barrier or my my threshold for what that means has kind of changed over time. Um, so I'm still living in alignment with my values, but one of my values, and I, it's funny saying this on a podcast where I'm talking half the time, but just like shutting the fuck up, yeah, is fine. Like you may want to tell people about what you're doing, just shut the fuck up. Unless they're actively helping you with something related to it, just shut the fuck up. You may see someone living their life out of alignment, right? You could say something to them. You could tell them about themselves. You try to help them, right? We've had some some situations where this has been the case. But you know what? I don't have the time for that. That person is not that close to me. I'm going to shut the fuck up.
1: I've also seen you in like, kind of like, we're using the term bullying, but... Any, it's really any time Peter sees an injustice, he gets that righteous anger and, like, it really is intense. But I've seen you get better at, um, instead of reacting the way you used to, of, like, let me give this bully what they deserve. Uh-huh. I've seen you kind of do what you're saying of, like, pause, feel the feeling, understand the feeling, assess assess the situation. And I've seen you learn to skillfully respond to the situation at times, like not just shut the fuck up, but like respond verbally and with intentionality choosing your words carefully based on what outcome you want from the situation. Would you agree to that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree to that. Yeah.
1: Which is really cool. Which kind of like this whole conversation leads me to think of a lot of the work I've been doing recently with um some of my clients um in the recent like last probably year or so. I've developed quite a few um, adult male clients in my caseload. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are like millennials. And do you remember the age range for that?
0: Oh geez, I think it's like forty to forty to twenty-eight. That year olds was what right I. Now. That's
1: what I've been saying Something about twenty-eight like to forty-year-old men who come in for individual therapy. And one of the main things they'll tell me is, you know. I don't feel like I'm good with emotions. I feel like the only emotion I ever feel is anger and I get really reactive and it affects the people in my life. And sometimes I don't know what I'm feeling. And like that goes, I, whenever I'm working with these clients, I always like to give them context to normalize their experience. And I talk to them about You know the masculinity box that existed for like our parents generation and prior generations Mm -hmm. before that where men weren't socialized for it to be acceptable to show any emotion except anger and like from the time that you know men are little boys and you know infants and little boys Mm -hmm. and young adults like their emotional expression Like, the full range of their emotional expression was not necessarily cultivated by their parents or teachers or coaches. And a lot of young boys were coached and taught to, you know, suck it up or, you know, like, stifle or suppress their more vulnerable feelings. And the only, like, anger was one of the only ones they had permission to feel, especially when they were playing sports like anger, frustration, that type of thing. Aggression and um in our in previous generations, like our parents' generation and older, that was just standard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like women in that generation did not expect emotional availability from their partners. Yeah. They just it was not an expectation that their partners would be emotionally sensitive, available, aware, Mm -hmm. like down to have like deep emotional conversation. They would go to their female friends, neighbors, community, church members, you know, they would go to other people for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I tell my male clients that the research came came out about 40 to 50 years ago that the emotional well-being and emotional intelligence and emotional nurturing of children Bo- both boys and girls is just as valid and important as like feeding them, housing them, clothing mm-hmm. them, oh yeah, um, keeping them safe. Like their emotional well-being is just as important. And in fact, we're not born with emotional regulation. We're not born knowing how to regulate our nervous system. Those things have to be taught to us as children by our parents, by our teachers, by our coaches. And that didn't happen for a lot of little boys. And it didn't happen for a lot of men in the millennial generation. But, but there's been a shift since the research came out where, like, more people are aware of, like, emotional intelligence and how important it is. Mm-hmm. So my m- millennial male clients are kind of the first generation where I'm speaking about heteronormative relationships right now strictly because that's the client... Um, demographic I'm referring to but their female partners are expecting them to be emotionally available to them
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they don't know how because they right. were never taught the skills
0: this is yeah this is their first go with they're doing yeah because uh-huh. they don't they tell me and how good are you at something the first time you do it
1: and I normalize that too they tell me like my parents didn't talk to me about emotions my guy friends and I didn't talk about emotions I still don't talk about my feelings with my guy friends But now my girlfriend or my wife or my partner is trying to have these deep feelings conversations with me or asking me about what I'm feeling and I don't know what to say or do.
0: Hey, shout out to doing a lot of theater and a lot of journalism in high school because, uh, yeah, everybody's just talking about feelings and shit all the time and it gets normalized really quick. So thanks, guys. Thank you all the people I did theater and journalism with in high school. Uh, Thanks for helping me learn to cry
1: love that for you yeah but like I basically have these millennial men coming to me saying this is what my partner's asking of me. this is where I'm starting to see like like a lack of like emotional evolution in myself and I want to develop that Could you help me understand what I'm feeling? Can you help me be able to like know like name what I'm feeling? Can you help me be able to communicate that to my partner? Communicate my needs communicate my feelings because they don't know how they don't have the language for it and I just normalize for them that like It's okay that you don't know because you weren't taught and it's not because your parents were bad They were doing the best they could at the time with the the knowledge that they had yeah, like the research hadn't come out yet and it's kind of funny because now since the research has been out younger parents do know that it's important to, to teach their sons and little boys about emotions and how to regulate their emotions and feel their feelings and that it's okay to feel the more vulnerable feelings. And so my clients who are like 25 and younger and male are more emotionally aware. They they do talk to me about their feelings. So it's, this, it's just this interesting gap for millennial men where they're in this in-between of mm-hmm. like, this generation that knows that feelings are important because the research has been out long enough. They just don't know how to do it. And they're coming to me and saying, can you teach me? And so I've been doing so much emotions coaching so much like teaching them to that underneath the secondary emotion of anger that they're more comfortable feeling might be a more vulnerable primary emotion, like fear, sadness, hurt, that type of thing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: pain yep and having them learn that and teaching them to feel it in session and giving them the language for how to communicate that to their partners like that they are feeling a more vulnerable emotion and not just acknowledging the emotion and feeling it but what do you do with it right like right now that I'm feeling this big thing and I know what it is, what do I do? Yeah, what next? And so I teach them like self-soothing techniques, self-regulation techniques. Deep breathing. Deep breathing. Go for a walk. Exercise. Talk to your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach them how to co-regulate with their partner, which is where you take... If you're dysregulated, you get comfort from another person who is regulated. And the, the regulated person's nervous system helps soothe the dysregulated person's nervous mm-hmm. system. That oh, yeah. could be through a hug, yeah. that could be through a conversation. It's great where for you're, bonding too. It's great for bonding. It could be where you're just comforted, reassured, validated in what you're feeling. I teach them how to receive that from their female partners. And I actually have to teach them when their female partners are coming to them with big emotions, they often say, I don't know what to say or do. And in fact, I find it overwhelming. Yep. And I have to teach them how to like keep themselves regulated, so that their partners can co-regulate with them, and not absorb the big emotion from their partner. Reflect but it back at them. Yeah. Reflect it back and validate. And I have to coach on language of what validation even means, and like different techniques for doing it. Mm-hmm. How to ask curious questions around what the other person's feeling. How to reflect back what you see on the other person's face. You look really sad right now. Tell me what's going on. Oh, that sounds really hard. What did that person say that was so hurtful? Mm -hmm. Like asking questions, reflecting back the emotion you see being displayed before you. Um, Just soothing and comforting and validating. I have to teach them how to do that. And I've seen some really incredible growth in a lot of my male clients. One of them, after I taught him how to feel his feelings, basically told me, this is like having a superpower that I didn't even know I needed. But like they're reporting it being like a total game changer, not just in their relationships with their partners, but also with their friends and family. And so like, yeah, I just I just I'm, I'm kind of going on a tangent because I'm really passionate about this topic uh-huh. and I'm really passionate about working with millennial men. Um, and doing emotion coaching but I just think it's so so important and it helps with every area of life to be able to express our feelings and needs in a more authentic to use that word again in a more authentic way
0: marketing buzz
1: because sometimes just that initial reaction of just anger isn't actually truly authentic to what your true self is feeling which might be hurt feelings sadness pain you know whatever it may be fear And so, yeah, like doing that work has been really fulfilling.
0: Hell yeah, that's dope. Yeah, thank you.